In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet, where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. So, hi. I'm excited. <laughs> hi. How are I'm you? good. How are you? I feel very involved in colors that will kill me, in fact. Which is not a bad thing, but yet a bad thing. Because... Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to use the colors. I want to use the colors. Oh, yes. Like... Uh, well, I at least want containers of them. Right. So I found out this week yes. while mm. while playing with colors and theories and yes. the histories that there is uh, a library at Harvard that hosts all yeah. of the rarest pigments ever known. And yes, there's some of like crushed beetles and stuff you would expect, you know, various mosses and and such. But the favorite one is mummy yeah. brown. Yes, I I know about this particular thing. It is made. It is one of my favorite stories. It's amazing. <laughs> it's made from like the resin around, like around that encases the mummies. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's pretty amazing. And I really want to paint with that or do something with that. But at the same time, I'm fairly certain whatever mummy came off, like that came off of, would find me and not be so happy. Yeah, there are a lot of cursed paintings out there, I think, because Mummy Brown was extremely common, Um, but that's probably a conversation for another day, since um, we've already got several colors on our plate. We do, we do indeed. It's true. So today... On Bones and Bobbins. Season one, we episode are, two. Yes! We are going to be discussing deadly colors. Which Mummy Brown isn't one of them, even though it's made from the dead. But, anyway. Hello. Hello. Okay. The mummy found me. <laughs> Yeah, I know, it came for you. Um, So, instead of colors made from the dead, uh, I'm going to start off with some colors that can kill you. Ooh. Specifically, yes, specifically Shields Green, which I'm assuming is pronounced Shields and not Sheila's, but you never can tell because of the German. Um, it's also sometimes referred to, (laughs) yeah, um, (laughs) nope, not going to burst into German, um, yeah, I have a degree in that, so, uh, it's also called Schloss Green, which is a lot more direct for pronunciation, um, but it was invented in 1775 by Carl Wilhelm Schiele, which I'm apparently going to pronounce Schiele, um, 
one of them will be right get options one of them is right but i'm fairly certain that our english speaking audiences will call it shields so i'm gonna try to stick with that um so he invented it in 1775 and uh but it wasn't released for um a few years after that and i'm gonna read a quick bit from the paris review that i have now lost mm-hmm. have a little hold music here do 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 aha um okay so um the paris review in an article from katie kelleher uh from may 2nd of 2018 sums it up pretty well invented in 1775 by carl wilhelm schiele the artificial colorant was made through a process of heating sodium carbonate adding arsenous oxide and stirring until the mixture was dissolved and then adding copper sulfate to the final solution uh, which makes it green um sounds like quite the cocktail yeah yeah so you may have noted the um arsenous oxide there so it turns out that Sheila was pretty excited, probably, to discover this color because it was bright and most of the greens at the time had, like, sort of brown or gray or yellowish undertones, so they were kind of washed out, and this was a really saturated medium green. Um, But something apparently troubled him. Um, according to Victoria Finlay, who wrote about Scheele. Victoria Finlay further wrote that a year before the color went into production, uh, Scheele wrote to a friend that he thought users might want to know about its poisonous nature. But, quote, what's a little arsenic when you've got a great new color to sell? (laughs) Just... Just slightly deadly, it's fine. Yeah, only slightly. (laughs) Not quite, not quite. Um, All right, so by the end of the 1800s, despite that it was extremely poisonous, it would replace nearly all older and less stable in color green pigments that had previously been in use. Yes, And it would also open the door for Paris green. You know the green wallpaper background that's all over our website (laughs) and social media? Yes. Yes. So listeners might be interested to know that there's a very specific and deadly reason that we chose this particular shade. So in 1814... A company in Schweinfurt, Germany, called Wilhelm Dye and White Lead Company, developed an extremely bright and saturated new green dye that became especially popular because women who had formerly been attending balls that were lowly lit by candlelight were starting to attend 
brighter events as Gaslight came into fashion. Mm. And so they wanted bolder gown colors because everyone could actually now see each other. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess it, it now mattered. And so in order to stand out, they flocked to this bright extremely saturated emerald green color um, which is related to the Paris green that we talked about earlier so uh, the new green as it would turn out had some serious downsides Uh yeah right Um, it didn't really stop wealthy people from using it. Go figure. (laughs) No, because heaven forbid, there's been a lot of suffering done uh, when one wants to look good. uh, Tale as old as time. Indeed, but I mean, this was yet another arsenic-based green, and people knew that arsenic was poisonous. This wasn't news. So, even though that was the case, any textile was fair game. So, green silk wallpaper that people may have heard of, that may or may not have killed Napoleon, um, or many other (laughs) dignitaries and royals throughout the globe, was also in this particular shade and carpets also were being dyed this green and so it was just everywhere in upper class victorian england during this time even though people knew wow that it had arsenic in it they just it was beautiful and they were into it and i mean as like emerald green is my favorite color personally so i yeah, i could see why that might be a thing um so in addition to textiles and garments it was also used to color the foliage of artificial flowers oh so yes. you could really and amp up an entire room with a shit ton of arsenic. Oh, I'm going there. <laughs> so, in, um, or rather, on November 20th of 1861, a 19-year-old artificial flower maker named Matilda Scheurer died of arsenic poisoning. Oof. Now, yeah, uh... Which is a pretty gruesome death that we will get into. Does not sound fun. No, no. And so she had worked dusting artificial leaves with a pretty vibrant green pigment that was also used to color dresses and hair ornaments because it was beautiful and emerald green. And the flowers that she was working with would have been used in the, these um, 
hair ornaments and headdresses and crowns and things like that. So we're talking full outfit arsenic if you really wanted to. Gloves, all the things. Um, so the thing is that this pigment, like I mentioned earlier, was extremely pretty, but it also happened to be made by mixing copper and arsenic trioxide, which is also known as white arsenic. And as we learned from Paris Green, arsenic is bad news. Right. So the reason that I didn't get into all the gory details um, when we were talking about uh, Shields or Sheila's screen is because there are more than enough that come along with Paris Green and the deaths of the people working with Paris Green were widely reported on. And so, um, back to our artificial flower maker, Matilda, and her imminent demise. So, the book... Fashion Victims, Dangers of Dress, Past, and Present by Allison Matthews David has this to say. After Scheuer's death, the Ladies' Sanitary Association commissioned Dr. A.W. Hoffman, an analytical chemist with a worldwide reputation, to test artificial leaves from a lady's headdress. Hoffman shared his results with the public in a London Times article that was sensationally titled The Dance of Death. Yes. Um, not wrong. Very <laughs> accurate, in fact. Um, and the expert concluded that an average headdress using the flowers that this woman had been working with um, would have contained enough arsenic to poison 20 people. Whoa! That's a lot of people. From one headdress. Yes. Yes. And um, the green... I don't actually know this word, but I feel like I should. It's um, tarlatanes. Hmm. Do you know that? Um, I feel like it must be a Victorian fabric. Mm. I'm not really sure. I should have looked it up. I actually have it marked to look up, and I didn't. So we're just going to go on and say um, green tarlatanes. So much of late in vogue for ball dresses contained as much as half their weight in arsenic. (laughs) Yeah, meaning a ball gown fashioned from 20 yards of this fabric. And that's heavy. Would have... Yes, would have had 900 grains of arsenic. Whoa. And still quoting from this book, a Berlin doctor had determined that from a dress of this kind, no less than 60 grains powdered off in the course of a single evening. Wow. Yeah. So a grain is uh, based on the weight of a wheat grain. And is about 65 milligrams. And four or five grains were lethal for an average adult. (laughs) You're literally shedding death everywhere. Yeah, and you had like, sometimes you were in green wallpapered ballrooms with green carpets. And many other women also in green dresses. Like, imagine 
the sheer amount of arsenic that was coming off. And it was so known that this was happening that there are cartoons from the time period of skeletons dancing together at balls. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yes. So it's... It was a thing. Um, And so... The arsenical green death was an extremely gruesome death. And um, again, Alice and Matthew David's book described very specifically how our flower maker died. Poor Matilda. Um, Yeah. So she had been sick on and off for the previous 18 months. Oh, wow. And had been going about her life, like eating her lunch with the same hands that she was using to sprinkle this dust onto the flowers. And she was just exposed, breathing it in constantly. And so... Um, the press described her death in grisly detail, and by all accounts, Schroer's final illness was horrible. She vomited green waters. The whites of her eyes had turned green, and she told her doctor that everything she looked at was green in her final hours. Um, yeah. In her final hours, she had convulsions every few minutes until she died with, quote, an expression of great anxiety and foaming at the mouth, nose, and eyes. Okay, when your eyes start to foam, that's a whole nother level. I feel like when the whites of your eyes turn any color, it's a bad idea. Right, right. Wow. Yeah, um... And so, an autopsy confirmed that her fingernails had turned a very pronounced green, and that the arsenic had reached her stomach, liver, and lungs. Ooh. Right. At the same time, so this like was 18 months? That seems like Matilda was a hardy little thing to be subjected yeah, to that right? much and take that long. She was also older than many of the girls who were working. Ugh. Um... Which is another issue entirely that we could go into. (laughs) An entire episode on Victorian kids working on dangerous things. And so, although they were almost certainly not as heavily impacted, um, the rich who are buying these deadly green items were also suffering similar consequences. Uh, if the dye wasn't sealed, it could cause it to be absorbed through the wearer's skin when they started sweating, which consider crowded ballrooms right. with a lot of bodies and no air conditioning. And dancing. Uh-huh. Um, and so, in less dramatic cases, this could mean something like skin irritation. But it could also mean that Playing on a green carpet could kill your baby. Or, yeah. Or that wallpaper in your bedroom could make you sick. Or eventually kill you. Foaming eyes. Foaming eyes, man. And so, like I said, it wasn't that 
people didn't know that green was dangerous. Apparently, at the time, Victorian slang for an attractive person was to call them a killing creature, which may have started out innocently, and it seems like it didn't start out referring to arsenic in dresses, but it definitely eventually began to refer to the poison that women were carrying in their dresses and on their headdresses and in their gloves. Wow. And, yeah... And so, shockingly, it would take until 1895 for regulations to be put in place for factory workers who were working with arsenic. Note that they didn't stop working with arsenic, that they just had some regulations. There's just some rules. Just a couple rules. Yep. That is a long time. And I know. And so... There's definitely more of a story related to the factory workers' rights, but I think that might be one to go into on a Patreon episode related to this. Absolutely. Gosh. Yeah. So that's green. That's green. That's your favorite color, huh? It (laughs) is my favorite color, and it's also deadly. Beautiful and deadly, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) So true. And my yes. favorite color is also slightly deadly. My favorite. Oh, yes. My favorite color is red. And I'm rather. Wait, I didn't know we picked our favorite color. I didn't. That's right? funny. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to. Like, I'm not sure I have a whole lot of pity. Obviously, I have pity for Matilda. Poor sweet angel. But these rich people yes. that walked around in it. I don't have a whole lot of pity for them because they knew. Meanwhile, there's so many artists that worked with stuff that didn't know better that ended up dying. And I'm yeah. And I don't know really how much there was a pretty big separation between how much men knew um, and how much women might know. That's true. At the that's time. true. I didn't think about that. And like what they might read and what they might not. And so I'm not really sure if the upper class women who were wearing or selecting these items would have been as fully knowledgeable, but they definitely true. would have known that arsenic was poisonous right. because it's used to kill your husband. In, like house, well, <laughs> that too, um, but also household poisons yes. and things like that. And it also builds up in the system. Right. And so. Like, this wasn't news, but also who knows if these women really knew That's true. how much arsenic was in these that items. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the, anyway. So the first time I ever heard about deadly colors, I was in high school. I had, mm-hmm. The Milwaukee Art Museum had a program. It still has a program. It's different now, but it's called Art Satellite. And your junior year of mm-hmm. high school, you submit a portfolio and if you're chosen for this, uh, half your school day, you get bussed down to the Milwaukee Art Museum, and the rest of the day, your classes are done straight into in the museum, which was cool, beyond amazing. It's seriously an experience that I could never, ever, ever forget. Um, oh, so you got I to did. do that. That's amazing. I did. And every Monday, uh, the museum was closed to the public, and we had uh, the... 
most amazing art historian would uh, walk us around and cover art history with us. Her name is Barbara Brownlee. Cool. And you can find her on YouTube. She's got some stuff on there and she's still rocking her Laura Ashley print moo's and her Birkenstocks. And I love her. Yes. She's amazing. And she used to tell us all these fun details. And I remember this one painting that I loved. And it was predominantly in this red. But you could see that it wasn't painted with a brush. That it was done Mm -hmm. with fingertips. Oh, no. And I remember, I I swore that it was cadmium red and that that artist eventually died. I have tried to find the painting. And I didn't spend a huge amount of time. But I couldn't find the painting. But I did uh, tumble down the world of cadmium pigments. So cadmium, if you don't... That sounds like a bad idea. (laughs) Which, if it's a bad idea, I'm probably going to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So cadmium is produced worldwide. uh, And, like, most of it is uh, used for the production of rechargeable nickel cadmium batteries. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But half of the <laughs> remaining consumption of cadmium is used to produce colored cadmium pigments. So they're bright. Oh. Yeah. I said, yeah. oh. So they're brightly colored with super good permanence and tinting power. Uh, the most popular are cadmium yellow, cadmium orange, and cadmium red. So cadmium yellow is cadmium sulfide, cadmium sulfide. Sulfosilionide is uh, pretty much what, me- what makes uh, pig- the pigment red. So it's cadmium red. And then the cadmium yellow is sometimes mixed with viridian to give a bright pale green mixture called cadmium green. Oh. So there's a little green out there too. Um, but it was originally discovered uh, by German chemists in 1817. Uh, and it allowed painters to reach this range of colors that they could not reach before and just super bright highly pigmented and also they're light fast so the color doesn't degrade with exposure to sunlight so this was just huge uh and many many people jumped on the cadmium bandwagon which makes sense um, well, it's beautiful. The problem with cadmium is that exposure to it is linked to tiny little things like renal dysfunction, lung disease, lung cancer, and bone defects. Inhalation, oh. yeah, inhalation has no color left unturned. Inhalation can also cause a host of respiratory problems and a flu-like condition, which is known as the cadmium blues. So artists... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta, gotta love the puns in there. At least it's not blue. Right. <laughs> so That would just be too much. The problem was uh, not only obviously finger painting with it, but artists that worked with the pigments really easily accidentally ingested dangerous amounts of it because they would use, you know, it would come in dry form like chalk pastels or oh. back in back back then they used to actually mix their own pigments so it would come in a powdered form and while mixing it it dusts up and in your lungs it goes i mean that still happens sometimes right so it was reported Mm -hmm. as early as the 1930s and like "Mm, there's probably some issues here but it wasn't until like the 50s or 60s that it was started taken seriously 
And up until the 1970s, Lego red bricks still had cadmium pigment in them. <laughs> so... I mean, and toy soldiers were painted with weapons. Right? So, <laughs> so yeah. Deadly Toys, episode 12. Come we were soon. great at poisoning right? children. Uh, so it was in 1992 that it was completely bland, banned in plastic use at all. Um, and it has been proposed by, I believe Sweden proposed it um, to be banned in paints. But in 2019, the EU said that they wouldn't enforce that. Uh, but there are uh, many, many art supply companies that uh, manufacture paint that have, it'll say like cadmium red or even lead white. These are usually the actual just hues rather than the, the historic true pigment, which is good because lead is also not fun. Uh, yes. It is said that Van Gogh had a tendency to lick his paintbrushes and they think he might have actually died of lead poisoning because of it and when they went back to the symptoms that he had when he passed away um it pretty much mimics a lot of lead poisoning um i have not ever licked my paintbrushes um but i have put you know my paintbrush in a cup of coffee instead of the actual brush water when i was trying to get a project done in the middle of the night and still drank the damn coffee because it's coffee um but <laughs> oh but i mean this is incredibly common yeah it is it is yeah uh so i'm gonna jump from lead into a family member of it yes um and it is related to radium oh speaking of uh (laughs) things that are a bad idea to eat (laughs) bad idea to eat paint with you know breathe in all of them yes so radium in 1896, uh, French physicist Henri Becquerel found uh, that mm-hmm. pitchblade, which was a type of uranium ore, emitted atomic particles that could pass through metal foil, and it created this like really cool spattering of light, light spots on photographic film. And he was like, this mm-hmm. is really fun. Well, Marie and Pierre Curie, who are Polish-French chemists, started working with him on that because they're like that sounds pretty cool and december 21st 1898 they discovered uh radium trace amounts of radium are found in this uranium ore because radium is created as the decay of the uranium atom which is then into several other completely unstable elements before finally ending in the element called lead so they named yes. this um, for the Latin word radius array because the radiation emitted from this new element was about three million times greater than the radiation from uranium. Holy shit. <laughs> right? Just a wee bit crazier. It's a great idea. Right? Let's play with that one. And they played with it. They did for a long time. And then in nine, uh, September 1910... Uh, Miss Curie and André-Louis de Bunier announced that they had actually isolated the radioactive radium salts from the mineral pitch blend as a pure metal itself through the form of electrolysis. Yep, and this is Marie Curie. Right. Uh, from the science, yeah. Yes, the amazing, mm-hmm. amazing porpinan who also died <laughs> of dealing with this, but uh, yes. she won a Nobel Prize. Um, mm-hmm. But and actually, the means by which they extracted it are still pretty much the same way that it's extracted now. 
which is phenomenal when you think about this being back in 1910 and we're still doing the same the same process yeah. pretty much it was about a year later that marie theorized that radium salt could actually be used to cure cancers so when studies show... <laughs> as opposed to cause them right <laughs> so as uh when studies showed that it was super effective on some tumors like hmm. people ran with it in a way that i shouldn't be surprised because we're talking about an era you could get cocaine over the counter because you had the vapors um so the newspapers Ghosts in your blood <laughs> So the newspapers compare radium's magic to the golden, helpful rays of sun, and everyone wanted to stand in what <laughs> seemed like to be a naturally healing light. So, uh, well, <laughs> so then there were bottles of radium water that were that were said guaranteed to make the drinker sparkle with energy. Radium sparkle was something, right? Radium soda, radium candle, radium laced facial creams to rejuvenate the skin, radium sprinkled <laughs> face powder, and it was in four clearly labeled tints white, natural, tan, and African because we were racist assholes. Uh, soaps, pain relieving liniments, yes. lotions, and even bath salts. And it was all of this was like, it's the next best thing to drinking sunlight. And everybody jumped on board because they're like, oh, it's a healing tonic. It's wonderful. So <laughs> enter the Great War. Uh, uh -huh. And uh, driven by military need, watch companies needed to begin putting straps on the watch so they could be safely buckled on because the soldiers were in these trenches now and they couldn't see the time. So they needed to figure out a way right. to make the watch faces glow in the dark, but not so much so that the enemy could see it. Enter these lovely German scientists that developed a self-luminous paint. And this Oh yes. So this was happening at the same time as the green. Pretty stuff much was happening. Like there's some overlap in those time periods. There is. Uh, hmm. and, and and again, it's a chemical reaction. So this paint glowed due to this cascade of chemical interactions. If radium salts yes. were mixed with a zinc compound. The particles got all crazy pants and started to vibrate. <laughs> and the vibration. <laughs> oh, did they? They did. They're all excited. And their vibration created this visible faint light. So the pale I mean, that's what I call it too. Right. <laughs> right. So yes. this pale greenish glow was easily outshone by daylight. But in the dark, it was just enough for to make the watches and whatever else they needed to readable without making it, you know, like tell the the enemy, hey, sure. we're over here checking our watches. So right. after American troops had joined the war in Europe, uh, the United States Radium Corporation in Orange, New Jersey, won a contract mm -hmm. to supply radium dial instruments to the military. Yes. So they needed people to to help do this and in order to create these they needed to paint tiny tiny little little faces on watches lines and numbers yep so the dial painters were taught to shape their their brushes to a fine point with their lips it was called lip pointing lip yep. dip and point which shaped the brush so that it's tiny enough to paint this uh very precise little little tiny numbers and lines but also use less paint 
Um, yes. So they also then did lacy designs on fashionable clocks. And each worker was expected to paint 250 dials a day. Five and, and a half days imagine. a week. Imagine. And they, they earned a whole $20 for a week for that work. And it was one and a half cents per completed dial. Which, to me, sounds like uh, not enough. But to these young women, it was actually considered like a super glamorous job. Some of these women were as young as 14 and 15. But they became really popular because not only was it considered more of an art position than a factory position, they would wear their good clothes to work. And they would just they noticed that when the paint flicked off it would no matter what it touched it would make glow so oh yeah they would have well, and almost all of the people working were teenagers right so yep. they'd make their hair glow they would put it on their dresses they might even paint their lips and eyelids and cheeks and then they would go out and hit the town and everybody would be like oh they're so glamorous and they glow and they sparkle uh, oh exactly by, oh and by the way mm-hmm. Twenty dollars in nineteen fourteen yeah. is about five hundred and sixteen in today's dollars. So they were actually that was pretty good money. Making then. good money, yeah. And yeah. they got to wear it home with them. <laughs> exactly, and they got to look so glamorous. So glamorous. I'm not. I'm not even gonna lie. I totally would have been a radium girl. I would have. Yeah. I would have been like that. Sounds like fun. So, but- I mean, if 1990s me is anything uh, <laughs> to go on with with the glitter, yeah. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah. So yep, I just dated us. Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so by the time the war ended, these wristwatches uh, with their glowing dials and their handy little wristbands and the luminous the like the little luminous face clocks they were making for the yep. higher end like families. Uh, Everything had become so popular, especially based on these radium girls walking around glowing and sparkling at night, uh, that it, uh, there was three factories in the United States that were required yep. to, to upkeep. So there was the one in Orange, New York, New Jersey. There was one in mm-hmm. Ottawa, Illinois, beginning in the 1920s, and a third facility in Waterbury, Connecticut. But today, we're going to talk about the badass ladies in Orange, New Jersey. Yes, indeed we are. Is this where I'm picking it up? Yes, it is. Alrighty. Alright, so... The women who worked in this Orange, New Jersey plant are the women who we probably know the most about because of that contract and so there was a lot of information about them and scientists were actually looking at the radium and how it was being used within the factories so when it turned out that the radium girls who were painting literally glowed like ghosts in the dark I do, too, Um, but it's not pink. I'm just really pale. Same. (laughs) Same. Um, uh, Scientists began running tests on current and former workers, and this was happening in 1924, so um, largely after the war effort, but 
likely when these were becoming higher end mm-hmm. products. Um, so the doctors from the Consumers League of New Jersey, uh, who were really known for their um, diligence when it came to worker safety, published their findings and said that the factory in Orange was incubating, quote, a new strange and terrible occupational disease. Oof. So the lives of these radium girls wasn't all sparkly sparkly. Mm-mm. There was a dark side, as there almost always is with anything that fun. Um, so at this point, the chief medical examiner of Essex County decided to conduct an investigation um, that wouldn't have any input from management or workers, so it would be a more unbiased opinion. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much immediately found that exposure from radium was a big problem. And he also discovered while he was examining all of the evidence that the women themselves were exhaling radon gas. Oh, wow. That's... You're not supposed to do that. No, no. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like you said earlier, um, this element exists in a state of perpetually breaking down and decaying and fizzing and glowing and doing all sorts of fun things. Um, And it turns out that something that's doing that isn't great for the body. And so... Yeah, it does, right? And so these women who were dealing with this highly radioactive substance were not only being exposed to the external radiation, like on the outsides of their bodies and on their clothes and on their hands and faces, they were eating it because even as these women raised concerns as their co-workers started getting mysteriously sick, the companies who wanted this very precise painting and wanted the speed to be able to continue being what it was assured them that radium was safe and that lip-pointing the brushes was safe. And so they kept doing it. Yeah. Um... And apparently, sticking a paintbrush with radium in your mouth is the worst way to absorb the poison at a structural level. Um, Radium is actually not dissimilar um, to the element calcium. Hmm. And... Uh, Because they're both earth metals that are alkaline, they're both the same color, and they both have um, cubic crystalline structures, and so 
they're actually very similar in makeup. Ah. And because of that, they were metabolized in the same way. And that's a bad thing when it comes to the body. We have a couple of bones. So, yeah. um, So what the body does with calcium is sending it towards nerves and muscle functions and then also depositing most of it into bones because they're made of that. Um, And so calcium, obviously, is good for you. It makes makes you more structurally sound broadly. And bad things happen when you don't get enough of it. Well, worse things happen when you get radium. And it's it's not funny, but it's very dramatic. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's one of those things where you almost have to laugh because it's so terrible. Mm. So, what radium did was basically blasted bones filled with tiny holes Mm. um, as it was being deposited within those bones. And the more it happened, the larger those holes got. And then larger and larger. And then it also irradiated the blood forming the marrow in the bones center because of course it does yeah and so it's basically rotting bones away and so the radium girls who had been working the longest like they're oh i hear a kitty yeah there was kitty yes um, they found that their co-workers' jaws were rotting away. Oh, my goodness. And their faces were caving in. Oh, God. And their hips were breaking, and their ankles were crumbling. Ugh. And so... Once these women got to that point, there wasn't any going back. Right? Oh, my God. But it was also very, very physically clear that this was happening. Right. And you can't really fake that it was. Ha- no, and that it was happening to these women in, like, it, I generally speaking, started mm-hmm. at the jaw. And so, where you're sticking that paintbrush into your mouth, that's the first place that crumbles away. Right. Like, it's really, really hard to ignore. Right, that's super that, obvious. Um, yeah, that the glowing people <laughs> um, were also falling apart. Right. Literally. Especially for them being so apart. young. Like, yes. you don't start losing your shit till you get a little older, generally speaking. Yeah. So, to be in your teens and suddenly having hip problems, that's oh, kind exactly. of a giant red flag, or glowing green, as the case may be. 
Yeah. And so, in 1925, um, Martland, who was the chief medical examiner in Essex County that I mentioned earlier, was in the process of really looking into this and was studying the bodies of dial painters who had died and also dial painters who were still living. Mm. And from them, he was able to create a formula that calculated the amount of radium that was actually in their bodies. And it was, horrifically enough, based on the radium they were exhaling. Wow. Yeah. So, or the radon gas, I suppose. Um, So, apparently, radon gas is produced by the skeleton as the radium in the skeleton decays. And then the gas is diffused into the bloodstream where it's carried to the lungs and exhaled, which I did not know. I thought that it was right. maybe just, like, on the tongue or something right. like that. Right, like, like it break, when it's breaking down in your mouth because you're licking these things. Yeah. But holy fuck. Like, I yeah. cannot imagine. And so their breath is literally poisonous. <sighs> yeah. And so, at this point, it became very clear that there was a problem, and some of these radon girls started to stand up and call for an end of basically what was happening to them. And pretty much all of these women, I think all of them, I don't know that any survived, um... Even as they were working towards this, mm-hmm. knew that they were going to die. Ugh. And, like, had seen the horrific deaths of the workers before them. And, I mean, some needed the money. Some <sighs> didn't feel like they had any other choice. But, I these women were dying... In their late teens and early 20s. That is a... That's a lot of life to throw away for 20 bucks a week. Yeah. And I guess, apparently, um, what first starts to happen is that you abruptly lose weight. And then your joints start to ache. And then it just continues Mm. on. And all of a sudden, these very young women feel like old women. Right. And it's, and it happens, it happens both more slowly and way more quickly than you would think. Um, So once that happens, often within a year, your jaw starts breaking down. And there are sores in your mouth that never heal. And it's just this horrific, horrific way to die. And all this time, Martland, the medical examiner, (laughs) is still deep into his investigation on, quote, radium as a possible poison. (laughs) Possibly. Just, yeah. yeah. 
Yep. And so, they already knew that radium, like, they already knew what radium sickness looked like. Right. And so, when they started examining specific workers and also started exhuming the bodies of workers who had already died to see if they had radium in their bodies, it became clearer and clearer that the radium girls were, in fact, being killed by the magic glowy paint. Right. I mean, if you take, if you exhume a body and just put it in a dark room and it's glowing, like, you don't even need to go any further. Right. And, I mean, they still didn't really understand how or why right. the radium was doing this. Um, and that medical examiner still continued to research it because they couldn't figure out how, the, how it got into their bones. Right. And That is weird. I mean, I can see you're yeah. like, oh, well. It, and, I the mean, mouth this is like, what, 1925. Bloodstream. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and stuff was still York, being made, like the yeah. bath salts. Oh, all these that people was, are still working, right? Oh, oh yeah. My and so, um, at this point, he contacted the New York City Medical Examiner's Office, and apparently there, there was a very very skilled toxic toxicologist called Alexander Gettler. Um, and he was asked, basically, if he could figure out how the um, radon, or radium, rather, got into these dead women's bones. God. And, and once yeah. it's in there, there's nothing. Like, the saddest part is that once it started, there was no way to end it. It's literally becoming part of your genetic makeup at that point like it's there you can't flush it out of your bones yep and even after this was already happening um some of the radium girls from the u.s radium corporation sued the u.s radium corporation you get them girls yeah and these were former dial painters Mm -hmm. who were suffering the effects of radium poisoning and there were only five of those radium girls who were in the lawsuit because so many were afraid to take on right. the U.S. Radium Corporation because they needed the jobs, even if they weren't dial painters anymore. They thought that going against a company would endanger the current factory jobs right. that they had. Especially when that factory had... Mm-hmm. A U.S. government contract. Yeah, Because exactly. then it's not just a company. It's a company that could be potentially yeah. backed by the government. Yeah. And so those people assumed that they would lose in court anyway. And so that's why there were only five who were brave enough to stand up. Um, I think those five should so, be our patron saints of the week. Right? I... And I'm sure that their their names exist, and I do not know them. We'll make sure we get it up on the Patreon. 
Got yeah, time. We sure will. Um, so that was sort of the warning shot that the radium girls fired over the bow in this battle for workplace safety. And so I guess it's it's not surprising but sort of interesting that pigments and paints and colors broadly keep killing people yeah. and it takes so long for any legal action to be taken on either side and so these women continued to suffer and die some of them continued to work for the company as their faces fell off as their bodies fell apart and there are photos oh my goodness and let's just say that they're graphic so Mm -hmm. if you look for them You've been warned. Be sure that you're you're ready to see what that really looks like. Um. So. Yeah. Art can kill. Yep, and the I think one of the most horrifying parts about the whole exhumation process mm-hmm. was that some of the dead women's bones still sparked with radiation oh my gosh okay all of that trump's foaming eyeballs (sighs) yuck (laughs) i mean you know i don't i don't know if one is slower than the other i guess it would depend on how on exposure but we are talking about People who suffered over long periods of time, these weren't quick deaths. These were slow, painful deaths of working class women. Barely women. I mean, barely. Working class teens. Well, sometimes they weren't. Oh, my goodness. And especially the people working in Victorian London at the time who were using their, the, um, arsenical greens. Mm Mm-hmm were definitely sometimes kids. Yeah. And every once in a while, one of them would notice what was going on and refuse to work. And I'm not really sure what would happen to them. I was going to say. But I imagine that it wasn't good. Right. They'd probably be at bare minimum an ass whooping. Yep. So. So there we are. I do believe I may have the name of at least two of the radium girls in the lawsuits who became sicker and sicker Mm -hmm. as the lawsuits continued. Um, Quinta McDonald and Albina Larice were sisters of the woman whose bones had been exhumed. Oof. Yep. And... They were two of the people involved in this lawsuit. And another woman was Grace Freiner, who left work in a bank, but then needed braces to support the rest of her body. A third woman was Grace Freiner, 
who, though she left the company to work in a bank, had to wear a metal brace from neck to hips to support her spine. Um, Fourth woman, Edna Hussman, could barely move across the room, and her hair still glowed in the dark years (gasps) after leaving the factory. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And, um, hold on, there's one more woman. Um, Catherine Schaub and her jaws were starting to break apart as this lawsuit was happening. I can't even imagine. Yep. And they were asking for $250,000 each to pay for their funerals. Oh, my gosh. And said, if, um, and I guess a quote from Catherine Schaub is, if I won my $250,000, mightn't I have lots of roses? Oh, my gosh. Yep. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. So there's more on the legal end of that, and we can certainly get to that in a Patreon episode, but now I'm going to cry about it. Right? Because, oh. Oh, my goodness. Like, I want to go hug their families, whatever generation they're on now. I'm going to be looking at every glow stick with a side eye from now on. Right? Yep. Yes. Nope. That's a lot of remember? Do you remember Glow in the Dark Gak? Yeah. Yep, I do. I feel real suspicious of that right now. Right? All of that. Yeah. Man, the 90s. Well, then again, the 80s were were worse. That Easy Bake Oven I got. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure. You can easily start a house on fire. Yeah. Or at least you would burn yourself. You definitely would. There was no, yep. no question. Yep. Yep. I really wanted a but, Snoopy whew. snow cone machine. So oh my bad. gosh, me too. You put the and ice cubes I, in and get No, wait, I did out. get one. I didn't get I one. I did get one. And then when I was shopping for like college stuff for my dorm, I stumbled across one and I was like, and it was like, I think like $12. And I was like, my parents didn't love me enough to spend $12. As a parent now, I'm like, mm, it wasn't about the price. It was about the mess. But I bought myself that Snoopy yes. snow cone machine, and I took it to college, and we mixed some snow cones that were not exactly legal at the age of 18. Yeah, I <laughs> bet that they weren't, and yet, you know, I have, um, well, I can't say fond memories of Boone's Farm related cocktails Ooh. from that time period. Speaking of glow in the dark. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> those are those are one of the many things that you pick. You don't pick by flavor, you pick by color. <laughs> What's the flavor? Yes. Blue. And I mean in fairness, blue is my favorite flavor across yep. all the things. Yes. Please give me blue flavored. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. But as far as I know, that particular form of terrible idea booze does not make you glow in the dark. 
Probably. Probably. <laughs> Let's not test it. Yes. No, I, I am too old for... I don't think I could even call it wine. I think it was wine the cocktail? first malt liquor, maybe? Do you think? Oh, is it a malt liquor? I think so. Or was, that, no. or was oh, Zima that the first malt liquor? Oh, that just makes me think of Steel Reserve. Oh, do you oh. remember Zima? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, even, I think maybe that was the I think first it came liquor. back. <gasps> no. I think that Zima exists again. Well, um, I know what I'm oh, doing. This. I need to. <laughs> we need to. We need to find this now. Let's see. Oh yes, yes. Um, Zima, according to Beer Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's clear. It's clear. Nice. We can it's mix it with some citrus. ecto cooler. Yeah, it's a refreshing citrus beverage. <laughs> Just beverage. Just beverage. Just beverage. Um, that is 5% alcohol by volume. And uh, summer 2018 is when it came back. Nice. Uh, yeah. Ooh. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Refreshing citrus beverage. I feel like it paved the way for, what are they, limeritas? Oh, yeah, I don't, mm-mm. and it can. Like, nothing yes. about that seems like a wise life choice waiting to happen. I don't know. I live above a craft beer bar in Brooklyn. <laughs> See, that's living the good life. <laughs> well, it's not open right now, in fairness. Yeah, true, true. But we do have takeout liquor laws temporarily now, so nice. they can deliver. <laughs> that's that's one of the the amazing things that I've seen come from this lovely pandemic um, is companies having to switch gears and restaurants going to takeout and being from Milwaukee where we do enjoy our beverages. There's been some really great like drink kits you can get from places like one of my favorite coffee shops Hawthorne does. it's a cocktail where you get like a jug of cold brew and then like a jug of alcohol and like the like the glasses to mix it in and and there's yep. bloody mary kits and all kinds of stuff that's kind of fun. I was like, now you just need to keep that up so that you know people can just drive through, grab a kit, and go home. I feel that that is a really perfectly fine idea. When I was in college, there used to be a drive-through liquor store. Yes. They had uh, uh, in Ann Arbor when when I lived in I lived in California in the Bay Area um, and I want to say down further south probably toward LA when we were there visiting there were drive through liquor stores and they actually had eggs cheaper there than at the grocery store so people would sometimes just drive through and get liquor and eggs and I'm like that's a really weird combination but you do I you. mean eggnog right so but that's funny oh you know I just found an interesting fact about our radium girls yeah and why maybe it took so long for anything to be done um apparently dial painting was quote the elite job for the poor working girls because it paid more than three times the average factory job oh wow yeah 
Yep. And those lucky enough to land that position ranked in the top 5% of female workers nationally, um, giving the women financial freedom in a time when that simply wasn't possible. And the reason that many of them were teenagers is because they needed to have small hands for the detail work. Yeah. So. And that's a from a BuzzFeed article um, by Kate Moore called The Forgotten Story of the Radium Girls. So the one tiny segment of life and population where women made as much as men and it killed us. Yes. That's great. That is correct. They probably still didn't make as much as men. That's true. That's true. I feel like the thing that needs to be taken away is always wear gloves and don't lick your paintbrush. (laughs) Yes. From all of this. Absolutely. Although gloves can't help you against some things. That's true. Alas, it's better than nothing. It is. Indeed. And while you're at it, you should also lock your door. And don't run with scissors. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.